Hi, everyone. Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Bosses, where we interview badass investors who are crushing it in the commercial real estate space. I'm your host, Sarah Hoffman. And on today's call, we have Christine Chu of Nobly Vest. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. Likewise, I'm very excited to have you on the show and tell us about your experience in multifamily and real estate in general. So why don't you start off by telling us your background? What did you do before real estate and commercial real estate? And how did you kind of transition into this business? So my background started off as a technical background in food science. So it's a very specialized background and degree. I did get my degree in food science. And basically, it's exactly what it is, the science of food. So if you think <laughs> about like literally your whole pantry, especially on the more processed food side, it's usually scientists like me mm -hmm. that kind of formulated those types of products. I spent about 12, 13 years in the food science world, in the food industry. Um, mm -hmm. I've worked for big Fortune 100 companies globally. And my role specifically was sensory science. So basically what we did was measured people's organoleptic reactions to food and mm -hmm. beverages. And organoleptic just means using your five senses. So I measured mm -hmm. how people reacted to food based on how it looked, how it tasted, how it smelled. And it was great. I loved what I did. It was very exciting stuff. However, just the corporate culture and the W-2 life was mm -hmm. draining for me. So going to work every day from eight to five, many times beyond those hours, mm -hmm. just really wasn't my cup of tea. I feel like I'm more a project-based person. I love to work hard and when I can see the beginning and end, but every yeah. single day, if it's not too busy going in, I'm just like, why am I here? I have other things I could be doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And especially so when I had children. So I had very young kids, two little boys at the time of the pandemic. And so mm -hmm. I feel like many women and many parents just in general felt that strain during the pandemic when everyone was mm -hmm. home yeah. and just balancing, taking care of your kids, plus working, plus everything else. 2020 came and I said, okay, I, I need to rethink things. I need to really change things up a little bit. So I decided with my husband, we thought about this. What am I going to do? And I asked the question, what can I do to replace my income without having to go to work every single day and trade time for money or for mm -hmm. just a little bit of money in relation right. to the amount of time. So yeah. then I, I focused in on real estate. There were a lot of benefits around it that helped us as a family, not just from an income and equity standpoint, like building long-term mm -hmm. wealth, but also from a tax savings perspective. So once you get up to being a higher income bracket, you have to find some ways to help mitigate those taxes because it's quite a yeah. lot of taxes. Like my whole income was paying our taxes as a couple. So I'm like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> I don't even like this. Why am I yeah. paying for our taxes through my job? So that's how I landed on investing full-time in real estate. Perfect. And now did you go into single family first or did you go straight into commercial? Yeah. So I started out with single families and I did the birth strategy. So I, I actually didn't know very much about investing in real estate. I did it accidentally because I had some properties that I've lived in that I never sold and ended up renting. So I was an accidental landlord. I didn't have any strategy or even knew how to like figure out what market rent was. So I did that a couple of times, just a couple years in the last decade. But then when I focused in on 
real estate as truly an income generating strategy. I was like, okay, I need to learn how to do it first. And so I started off in single family doing the Burr strategy. And I live in New York currently. And of course, New York's not the best place to invest, whether it's single family or multifamily, anything. So I I saw, I looked around what's near New York and I focused Mm -hmm. in on Philadelphia just because it was still very affordable and Burr seemed to make sense. The numbers Mm -hmm. made sense there. So that's what I started off doing. And just for people that have never heard of the Burr strategy before, can you explain to our listeners what that is? Yes, it's an acronym. It stands for buy rehab. So you renovate the property, you rent it out to a tenant, then you refinance, which is the best part. You pull out all your capital that you use to acquire the property plus your renovation budget. Mm-hmm. So then you own the property without any of your own capital in it and you're making a margin on your cash flows. So hopefully your rent covers the mortgage and expenses plus a little bit more for the cash flow. And then you repeat the process. So it's B or R. I think there's four R's after that. Why? Rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. Perfect. So you did that starting off at single family, did some Burr strategies in Philadelphia. I do like how you were creative in, as far as going outside of where you live. A lot of people like myself, I live in California and I'm not trying to invest in this state either. So we've got to expand our mind. And did you find any difficulties as far as being able to manage those properties from out of state? Yes, definitely. Especially during stabilization period, that was certainly the hardest because finding a really good contractor that you can trust. And I was completely new to the market. I really didn't have that many connections um, Mm -hmm. at that time. I do now. Thank thank God for friends who are investors as well. (laughs) But yeah, you have to do some trial and error. And some of the contractors you work with might not be so great. And then they push your budget way beyond. And that's what happened in my case. My first deal, I was 25K over budget. Wow. And I ended up spending way more on the rehab than what I used to buy the, the property itself. And I was just wow. like, ah. Um, so unfortunately, I didn't get to pull out all of my cash from the deal, but it was a learning experience and it was mm-hmm. well worth it. So yeah, there's some challenges there. Of course, finding really good property managers Mm-hmm. is really hard as well. I've gone through a couple in the past couple years also. So it takes some time to build up those networks, but it, it is it can be mm-hmm. challenging. Yes. Got it. And that's so going into the single family, you just did it on your own. You just figured it out or did you have any kind of like guidance or mentor? No, I did. I joined a Burr strategy mentorship group. Mm-hmm. However, the thing with mentorship groups, you have to be really careful vetting it. Sometimes they give you very general information. They charge you an astronomical amount of money and they're like, okay, mm-hmm. off you go. Good luck. Figure it out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I did have a group like that, but I still felt like I was figuring everything out on my own. Yeah. And very much, I feel like learning yeah. by doing is the best way to learn. And even learning by failure is the best mm-hmm. teacher at the end of the day. So yeah, I was listening to podcasts every single day and I wasn't even set on the birth strategy on single families. That was just really my stepping stone because I feel like that strategy allowed me to see the entire process from acquisitions all the way until Mm -hmm. going full cycle of refinancing out Mm -hmm. and then cash flowing, all of that. So that was my way to see the whole picture at a smaller scale. And I wanted to do it on my own as well, just so that I can experience each of the different facets of acquiring and owning real estate. 
So perfect. And what made you jump from that to going into commercial? Yes. So I, while I was doing all that with single families, I had met someone because when I was starting out, I had no one to talk with. I didn't know who to really go to to ask about real estate. And I went on LinkedIn, searched real estate investor. And the first person that popped up was someone who did multifamily syndication. So I reached out to her. We had coffee and she gave me all these resources and was a really great sounding board to help me figure things out. She's like, hey, there's this other strategy called syndications, which is basically group investing. And it's completely passive for you if you want to try it. I was like, wow, is this for real? Can I really (laughs) invest in real estate and not do anything? My mind was so blown by the idea and you still make a pretty decent return. And even now, when I'm experienced in multifamily and syndications, I'm still mind blown because my (laughs) returns are almost equivalent to all this stuff that I did for single families that I put so much time, sweat and Mm -hmm. tears into. And that's how I knew about it was through her. She introduced me to it. And as I was going through all this stuff with the single families, I'm like, this is such a headache. I understand why people don't want to get into real estate. On the flip side, I was also investing some capital passively. I'm like, this is great. I just get a check in my direct deposit every month or every quarter. I don't have to do anything besides read maybe a newsletter (laughs) that comes in. And I'm like, oh, that's great. They did a little party for the tenants. Good job, team. Like, I didn't have to be there actually doing all the work. So that's how I transitioned from the single family being very active, very time consuming to moving towards the active side of being an LP in multifamily syndications. Got it. Yeah, that's what I love about this business and multifamily is that everyone is so open and willing to talk to you and help guide you along the way. So that's really cool Mm -hmm. how you just found someone on LinkedIn and they were just like, yeah, let's meet for coffee. Mm -hmm. I find that's pretty much most everyone that in this business is just willing to talk, get on a Zoom call if they're out of state or meet you and just give you advice of how you can get involved in the business as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think everyone's so open because multifamily syndication is very much a team sport. Mm-hmm. So you never know like who could eventually be your partner too. Mm-hmm. And I have to add that person that I reached out to is my business partner today. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> we decided to join efforts and just work together on the active side of multifamily syndications. That's amazing. So you started off, so you did single family, transitioned into as a passive investor, right? An LP mm-hmm. or yep. limited partner. And then right. from there, you then started to get into more active deals. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Because I I was like, okay, the single family's not working for me. It was great Mm -hmm. for the first year, but now it's time to scale and go bigger. So then with the LP, I call it my LP education because it's a great Mm -hmm. way to learn is to be a limited partner first. I decided to transition into the active side of being a co-GP and then now a fund manager. And along with that too, meeting partners where we're coming across smaller deals and taking them down as joint ventures. So just a few people coming together to invest. And so now I've built up a portfolio of about joint venture on almost 40 units across the Carolinas and in Ohio Mm -hmm. and co-GP and fund manager in the past year and a half across 1,300 units in multifamily and short-term rentals. 
And then as a limited partner, I just got so addicted to passive income that now I'm invested in 14 deals <laughs> just across many different asset classes. So I might be interested in something and I'll just invest in that. So not just multifamily, but mm -hmm. also, again, short-term rentals, ATMs, oil and gas, commodities, and small businesses. Wow. So yeah, that's really pretty diverse. Yes, diversifying. I like that. Now, as far as the short-term rentals go, are those in like a multifamily property or are those single family? They're mostly single family homes. It's a fund. So we have over, I would say over 70 properties across different markets in the U.S. that are STR friendly, short-term rental friendly. And so um, we're buying, it's similar to Burr strategy, but it's Burr short-term rental. Yeah. Um, so the operators that we're partnering with, they're able to look for these properties in these very specific locations, find them slightly distressed, right? And really renovate them to be very beautiful and experiential properties. I feel like mm -hmm. in short-term rentals right now, in order for you to stand up, stand out in the crowd, you really have to make it an experience and design the properties to look fabulous. So that's what our short-term rentals fund is it's a collection of these types of properties. Perfect. Now, you mentioned a little bit about your why and what motivates you with your family and your two sons, yeah. but can you expand on why you got into this business and what continues to motivate you on a day-to-day -day basis? My biggest why absolutely is my family. I think one of the challenges I had as a WT employee was time freedom. And I feel like that's a lot of the reason why many investors get into real estate is to have time freedom. I think that's like the meaning of wealth. The, mm -hmm. the new meaning of wealth today is not your Prada bag or a Porsche, <laughs> but it's having time freedom. And so for me, it's being able to have the flexibility. There's times when my kids are homesick that I can move my meetings around or just you know spend the time to be with them. Yes, mm -hmm. I might not be hustling that day, but that's okay because I work for myself at the end of the day. And if I slow down a little bit, that's okay. I have the time to yeah. be with them and really to spend time, quality time with them as well. Mm -hmm. So that's my biggest why. And also, yeah, my youngest son is, he has disabilities and he has special needs. And really just, that was a whole transformation, just a mindset trans transformation for me. Just knowing that my child needs me and probably needs me beyond what most children need their parents for. Mm -hmm. It just, it really pushed the nail in. Like you really yeah. got to do something that gives you that flexibility as well as the resources and means to help support him. So that was another big reason why of me doing what I do. Absolutely. And for some people that are listening right now and maybe they want to get into this business and they're wondering, what does it look like as far as the time commitment. Is it pretty time consuming on a regular basis when you're starting a business or is it something where they can do and build gradually and be like, what does a time look like for you? How much time are you spending on your business and how do you balance that with family? Yes. Good question. Very good question. So it really depends. It depends on what you do, on how big of a role you play in the industry. And it also depends on really the progression. So I feel like as a business owner and an entrepreneur, it's very different because we mm -hmm. build out goals 
in milestones. And everyone's goal is different, right? Some mm-hmm. people want to be operators and have, I don't know, 10,000 units under management and they're grinding, hustling hard, picking up, acquiring properties go. I would mm-hmm. say for them, starting out, yes, it's a huge time commitment. You can expect to work probably 20 hours a week doing that because mm-hmm. it is it is not easy. But then if you start off helping to raise capital, maybe that's not as big of a time commitment. It still can be and still can mm-hmm. be. It really just depends on the situation. And I, I feel like the key thing is you get to drive how fast you want to go mm-hmm. and how far you want to go as well. So the time commitment really depends on that. And another thing I want to add, being an entrepreneur in real estate, most W-2 employees have a 30 to 40 year career, right? And they're Mm -hmm. putting in their eight to 10 hours per day across 30 to 40 years. Whereas if you're an entrepreneur, whether you're investor or business owner, there is what's called going full cycle with your business. And that's Yes, it's a short time. It's a short time. I would say typically like the cycle is around maybe five to seven years where you're working extremely hard. You can expect to put in a lot of overtime, but you reap the rewards of your retirement Mm -hmm. much sooner than your 30 to 40 year career. So I feel like at the end of the day, it pays off because you're able to look at your cycle your career cycle, as you can call it, mm-hmm. or the progression of your business and really say, okay, that's where I want to get to. These are the steps I need to do to get there. Yes, I'm going to put in a lot of time and commitment to it. But as long as you're moving towards that and really reaching those milestones, you'll get to that end goal. And you can actually see when you get there. As opposed to, sorry, sometimes when you're working as a W-2, it's the same thing every day. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, retirement is 40 years away. Yeah. <laughs> and even at retirement, you don't know if you may even have enough income per se to sustain beyond that. So that was a little long-winded, but that's <laughs> how I see it. No, that's really good. So uh, basically, you know, the first five to seven years, you are putting in more time, but the goal is after I put in this hard work in the beginning, I'm going to be able to experience that financial freedom on the back end. Mm -hmm. And some people just need to have that in mind, right? It's not going to be an overnight success. It's not going to take even 12 months is not enough time, right? To really get to that financial freedom point. Right. It's about being realistic. So what kind of goals should someone set if they're just getting started right now and they want to hit that five to seven year financial freedom mark, what are some Mm -hmm. good milestones to keep in mind and goals that they should be thinking about right now? An exercise that I did was I looked at it with the freedom number in mind. So a lot of people talk about how much cash flow do you need per month to support the lifestyle that you want? And so I had that number in mind and I looked at different deals and opportunities in relation to how that impacted that freedom number. And so it could be anything. Like for me, it was a freedom number to have passive income. For some people, it might be, I want to grow my business to X, Y, Z. It's finding that end goal and then working your way backwards from there. And even seeing, okay, there is actually a formula out there. You can probably Google it or find it somewhere. How many units do you need, per se, if you're owning real estate to get to your freedom number based on the cash flows? Mm -hmm. 
So that's a great way to start off. And then also you learn along the way and you adjust too. Sometimes as you're growing your business, you can find that you love it so much that you want to keep going even once you've reached your freedom number. I think that happens for a lot of people. They just are so passionate about their business. They want to keep going. And that's okay. So I feel like it does change and vary depending on the situation. And it's important to check in every now and then as you're on your journey to get there. Perfect. Now, in multifamily, everyone has a different role, a different specialization. Obviously, you got into business with your partner, probably because you have different strengths, right? Mm -hmm. So what is it that you focus on and what are the tasks that you do versus your business partner? Yeah, so we mainly help to raise capital as well as some operations and asset management. We also do some marketing. I feel like both of us, we come from consumer product goods and W2, like more marketing sides of backgrounds. And so we feel like we're strong in those aspects. I'm more the introverted part of the relationship or person in the relationship where she's very extroverted and really gets a lot of energy from being around other people. So we split our responsibilities where I'm doing more of the backend work, leading the strategy of like our funnels and our systems, our CRMs, kind of building those systems up, whereas she's more investor facing. She's doing more investor relations, talking with them and answering any questions. Also analytical wise, I would be more the analytical person. So I'm vetting deals also creating those relationships with different sponsors and operators. And she's translating that over to the investor side. So that's how we balance out. And I feel like any great relationship works when you're filling each other's gaps because then you become more well-rounded in general and you're able to go farther together. Perfect. Yeah, I would agree. When you are going into business or partnering with people, you definitely want to find complementary strengths there's going to be some overlap, obviously, but it just works a lot better when each person can focus in their genius zone. So we're going to switch gears a little bit here, and I'd like to go and walk through one of your deals. Could be maybe um, your first deal, could be a deal that maybe was more challenging than the other deals. Just walk us through how you found the deal, what worked, what didn't work, what did you learn from it, and how did you overcome any challenges with that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know this podcast more focused on multifamily, but I would say one of my most challenging deals was my single family deals. And I think I, I referenced it to it before. Um, my first deal, I thought I bought it at a decent price. Um, maybe it was a little bit more than what I should have paid for it. And the condition looked okay because I couldn't see behind the walls, neither can the inspectors. And so when it came time for the contractors to come in, they actually found that the ceiling was caving in on the first floor because there was a major leak in the bathtub in the bathroom. Yeah. And so everything was drywall. You can't see that. But once they opened mm -hmm. up the drywall, it was like you could see the baseboards and everything was like just seconds from <laughs> collapsing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and hence why we were 25K over budget. And also yeah. this particular contractor wasn't as experienced himself either. And I thought I did my due diligence to vet them. They seemed buttoned up with everything. Like they had logos on their shirts and they had vans, whatever. But then 
I think one lesson learned was to really vet and get personal references, at least three for anyone that you work with. So Mm -hmm. specifically for the contractor. And yeah, it just, it blew the budget out of the water. And not just that, when it came time to do leasing, there were a lot of challenges with the tenant that was placed. The property manager really didn't vet them as Mm. well as they should have. Mm -hmm. And I was getting complaints from neighbors about the tenant, things just like they weren't paying rent either. This was during the pandemic. And so it was tough all around, yeah. just like from construction to leasing and all of that. It was really hard. And i that's when I was just looking at re- investing in real estate. I, I had that moment where I was like, am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this? Because this is very challenging right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when I figured with multifamily and with it being a team sport, you can refer and defer a lot of things to people that are experts. Like someone specifically who's an expert at acquisitions. You have larger property managers that are more experienced, that have economies of scale that you're working with. So there's um, a lot more benefits from those larger deals with the the multifamily versus doing your single family, like one by one. And especially so as as a newbie, you get also mentorship opportunities by partnering and working with experienced teams. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of benefits in the multifamily. I think one of the biggest things that is the benefit is it is a team sport, like you said. So you get to leverage the knowledge of more experienced operators to be able to see a deal through and you can lean on that experience versus trying to figure it out yourself in the single family space. Thank you for being on the show today. Where is the best place for people to find you online if they want to learn more about you, Christine? Yes. So we actually put out a lot of educational materials through NobleVest. So if you're interested in checking us out, you can find us on LinkedIn. You can also add me as a contact on LinkedIn, Christine Shu, spelled H-S-U. We're on Instagram, Facebook as well. Thank you for that, Christine. We'll definitely have links to your LinkedIn and to your website below so that people can connect with you online. And thanks everybody for tuning in today. If you guys enjoyed today's show, please write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Every review helps us to be able to reach more and more people looking to get involved in commercial real estate. If you're looking to level up your investment game, join the Commercial Real Estate Bosses community. It's completely free and inside you will get access to our Passive Investing 101 Masterclass, as well as regular live trainings where you can ask questions and access to industry professionals and like-minded investors. Join for free today by going to CREbosses.com slash join. That's CREbosses.com slash join. Or click on the link below and I'll see you inside.